Last time on the podcast, we talked, so it was a, it was actually, it wound up being a really long episode and that wasn't quite my intention. And so today, before we dive into things, just wanted to let you know what's, what is planned for the summer. So this summer, I'm kind of taking a little step back and presenting a summer series. And with this, it's breaking down some big concepts into bite-sized pieces and presenting those over the weekly over the course of the summer. These episodes will likely all be with me. That said, sometimes I might be giving a little sneak peek of what's to come for fall. And this includes some interviews with people like Sarah Villafranco, the founder of Osmia Skincare, and Carice Laguerre, who is a myofunctional therapist, which we've talked about myofascial therapy and myofascial flossing before on the show. And myofunctional therapy is actually something completely different. And this is where it essentially teaches you or trains you how to align the muscles in your neck, the muscles in your face in order to sleep and wake up refreshed. So this helps with things like sleep apnea, teeth grinding, and insomnia. So, and it helps you be way more productive during your waking hours. So I'm super excited for that conversation. So we'll likely over the summer series, I'll present short segments from some of those full interviews that are planned for the fall of this year. And to give you a little sneak peek into how the summer series is going to look and what it's going to look like, I thought maybe a perfect time to do it is today. With this, the way that we'll start out the summer series is a little bit of a continuation of the last podcast episode. And in that episode, it was kind of just a 101 and 201 into Ayurveda's view of your body, which is very different from the Western view of your body. And today, what we're going to do is take each one of those layers and talk about it piece by piece. We're going to focus just on the plasma layer today and talk through how hormonal contraception impacts the plasma layer of your body. Let's go ahead and jump in. Welcome to Holistic Wellness, a podcast exploring the science and metaphysics of health and wellness. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator at Rain Organica, where you'll find holistic skincare in one simple routine. Today's episode is brought to you by Rain Organica's brand new course, Fertility Awareness for Natural Contraception. That's right. It's entirely possible to avoid pregnancy naturally without hormonal birth control and without a copper IUD just by knowing when your fertile window opens and closes in any given cycle and avoiding unprotected sex during that window. As it turns out, most women are only fertile for about five days in their cycle, give or take a day or two. So some of us are actually fertile for about three days out of every cycle. Some of us are fertile for a little longer. And 
sperm are only able to live for up to seven days if they make it through your cervix and into your uterus. If those boys just hang out in your vagina, conditions aren't favorable for their survival and they'll die and be passed out of the vagina within a few hours of unprotected sex. So if that course sounds like something you're interested in, be sure to head over to rainorganica.com for more information. Last time we talked about how Ayurveda sees your body as composed of layers and with each layer receiving nutrition in turn from the layer above it. We're going to briefly recap that here to begin with before we really start talking about the plasma specifically. So your plasma layer is the most superficial layer. Once that layer receives nutrition, then your red blood cell layer receives nutrition. Once your red blood cell layer has extracted all of the nourishment that it needs from the food that you eat, the remaining food passes on and nourishes your muscle tissue. And then that passes on and nourishes your fat tissue, which in turn nourishes your bone tissue, then your nerve tissue, and finally and lastly, your reproductive tissue. We're going to revisit each one of these briefly and talk about how hormonal birth control throws each and every one of these systems out of balance. We'll be doing that over the course of seven weeks. One of the things that we need to mention here is there are two, two key byproducts from each layer during this process of breaking down. And there's a substantive byproduct that builds onto your body or supports your body in some way. These byproducts are retained within your body during cellular metabolism. And then there's also transient byproducts, which are flushed from your body in some way. These transient byproducts are supportive of your body as well, and they aid your body in the elimination of waste or enable your body to reproduce. <clears throat> For that plasma layer, this substantive byproduct is your, this is especially applicable for women, uterine lining and breast milk. The transient byproduct is phlegm. For the red blood cell layer, the substantive byproduct is blood vessels and tendons. And again, tendons are the connective tissue that connect muscle to bone. The transient byproduct of your red blood cell layer is bile, which of course is produced in your liver and helps to flush out cholesterol and hormones from your body, whether this is endogenous hormones, so hormones that your body naturally makes, or artificial hormones that you might be exposed to in the form of, or of hormonal contraception, not necessarily oral hormonal contraception, hormonal contraception. The next layer, your muscle layer, the substantive byproduct is ligaments, which again, bind bone to bone and your skin. Transient byproduct is earwax and navel fuzz. So yes, that little buildup inside your navel is actually a transient byproduct of your muscle layer. The fat layer, 
peritoneal fat. So this is fat in the core of your body around your midsection. This is necessary because it provides cushioning for all of these vital organs within your body. That is the substantive byproduct. So we all need a little bit of peritoneal fat, regardless of how our relationship is with fat. We all need it. It's a key part of adding cushioning and making life much more comfortable. A transient byproduct of fat, of the fat layer is sweat. For your bone layer, your teeth are the substantive byproduct. Transient byproduct is hair and nails because your hair and your nails, they both over time are meant to break off, whether you're cutting them or they're naturally developing split ends and then breaking off for your hair or your nails getting so long that they break off. For your nerve layer, the substantive byproduct is lubrication for your eyes. And here that is distinct from the transient byproduct, which is tears and other eye secretions. So it is absolutely necessary to have a certain amount of lubrication for your eyes just to be able to blink in comfort it's the tears and the morning crusties that are the, more the transient bilayer for this particular layer of your body or the transient byproduct for this particular layer of your body. And then lastly, your reproductive organs. So the substantive byproduct here is something is a Sanskrit word called ojas. And this roughly translates into joy for life and vitality. The transient byproduct of your reproductive layer is semen for men, arousal fluid, cervical fluid, and ovulation, so that ovum itself for women. In today's episode, we're focusing on how hormonal birth control alters the composition of your plasma which is the very first layer of your body. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So what is plasma? Well, we talked about last time how plasma is a key component of your immune system. It's the juicy part of your blood. It's the medium that transports red blood cells. Plasma contains lots of different components that include Serum, which is the liquid part of plasma, it constitutes about 90% or maybe a little more of the, compos the full composition of plasma. Clotting proteins like fibrinogen and a host of other clotting factors along with platelets. And your plasma also contains important immune cells like white blood cells, these are also known as leukocytes, and immunoglobulins. Key electrolytes such as potassium, sodium, calcium, and magnesium, maintain the tonicity. So this is, another word for that is osmolality. It's a fancy way we typically refer to it as tonicity and proper pH of your blood. And these electrolytes are also present in your plasma. Other proteins like albumin, which you may have heard of, also reside in your plasma. Now, when you have a blood panel run and you get your CBC results, which CBC stands for complete blood count, you will see 
we will oftentimes see some of the markers that we talk about throughout the rest of this in your CBC panel. Sometimes certain blood tests are ordered separately from that to further look at this. This one is not necessarily comprehensive of the CBC panel. So again, complete blood count panel itself. This may be both from the CBC or specific tests that are ordered in what we're talking about today. But we'll say there is available a guide at Rain Organica where you can walk through your full blood panels. And here I'm talking your CBC panel, your complete metabolic panel, and your lipid panel and look at how hormonal birth control affects every single one of the parameters that show up or the things that show up on each one of those tests. So every single one of those. It's a great guide. It's broken down into table format, so you can literally take your CBC results and take this guide and run down step by step and see, oh, this is how hormonal contraception alters, has been found to, studies have found that this alters my white blood cell count in this way, my red blood cell count in this way, my mean corpuscular hemoglobin in this way, my mean corpuscular volume in this way, and so forth and so on. So complete breakdown of that. So be sure to hit the link in today's show notes and grab that guide. For now, let's dial back into the conversation or pull back into the conversation and talk about an overview of how hormonal contraception impacts your plasma. First of all, Hormonal contraception impacts clotting factors in your plasma. Hormonal contraception is known to alter the ratio of clotting factors in your plasma by reducing the time that it takes for your blood to clot. So it, this makes your blood clot faster. And one of the key side effects, huge side effects, life-threatening side effects of hormonal contraception is blood clots. And whether this prevent, presents as deep vein thrombosis, whether this prevent, presents as a pulmonary embolism, whether it presents as a heart attack or a stroke or a trans ischemic attacks, which is essentially small strokes or small clots being formed inside your brain, whatever this presents as, hormonal birth control is linked to that. And that's one of the big side effects. And the reason that it's linked to that, it, for one of the reasons that it's linked to that, there are actually many reasons for it being linked to that. One of the reasons is because it impacts clotting time and it makes your blood clot faster. Second of all, hormonal contraception alters your normal electrolyte balance in your blood plasma. Hormonal contraception disrupts the normal electrolyte balance, it's the thing here is depending on whether you're on a combined oral contraceptive, a progestin only pill, an intravaginal ring, or a hormonal IUD, how it impacts that electrolyte balance changes. So this is an area that is not very well understood. So sometimes, for instance, your sodium levels have been found to go up on certain oral on certain hormonal contraceptive 
formulations, sometimes those sodium levels have been found to be decreased by certain hormonal contraception formulations. So, however, hormonal contraception use is linked to altered electrolyte balance in your plasma. Number three, C-reactive protein. So this is a special test that is ordered Oftentimes when a doctor has run all or a healthcare practitioner has run all of the basic tests, so starting with your blood count panel, with your metabolic panel, with your lipid profile, all of those kind of things, gotten the normal test out of the way and then still can't figure out what's going on and wants to really dive deeper and start really looking under the hood, so to speak, and getting down into some of the more diagnostic tests. C-reactive protein is a common one or when you have inflammation in the body. And let's just start talking about it. So C-reactive protein is a marker of inflammation and it is significantly higher in women who use hormonal contraception. C-reactive protein is made by your liver. It's normal to be made within your body. It's typically made in response to a bacterial threat. So what this means is when your body identifies a bacteria that shouldn't be there, then it signals your liver to start making C-reactive protein. And what signals it is, or what it does is C-reactive protein recognizes the phosphatidylcholine residues that are on bacteria cell walls, and it binds to them to help your immune system identify those foreign bacteria and come in, kill them and move them out of your body. Now, phosphatidylcholine is also free, so it's unbound on the surface of dead or dying cells within your body because phosphatidylcholine itself is part of cellular membranes. And so C-reactive protein also binds to those cells within your body to help your body clear them. Uh, the other thing about phosphatidylcholine is it's common in supplements. It's common in certain foods. For instance, eggs have fairly high levels of phosphatidylcholine. So if you happen to be sensitive to certain foods and here specifically eggs, this may be an underlying reason for it. The problem with elevated levels of C-reactive protein is that it contributes to inflammation. It increases the risk of a quote-unquote cardiovascular event, and it's associated with an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Number four, continuing along this, this inflammatory path discussion, hormonal contraception increases ANA in serum. What is ANA? ANA stands for anti-nuclear antibody. And this is another common marker that's typically elevated in people with autoimmune conditions. Both CRP, so C-reactive protein and ANA, antinuclear antibodies, are typically elevated in people either with a diagnosed autoimmune condition or who are on the path to developing an autoimmune condition. Hormonal contraception, in here we're talking progestin-only pills, we're talking combined oral contraceptives, we're talking IUD, so there's intrauterine devices. We're talking depo, so the sub-Q injection. In particular, 
All of these have been shown in multiple studies to raise ANA levels. Now, lest you believe for a second that intravaginal rings are immune to causing autoimmune problems, do not be fooled by the packaging. In all of these instances, it doesn't matter what the delivery system is. The problem, the root cause is those synthetic hormones. And if any doctor has ever said that an intrauterine device or an intravaginal ring delivers local bolus of hormones or a local delivery of hormones, they are misleading you. What is happening is that sub-Q, so it's subcutaneous injection, IUDs, and intravaginal rings all deliver hormones so that they bypass first pass metabolism. And what this means is that they are processed differently by your body. They are still systemically absorbed into your bloodstream, regardless of the delivery route. It doesn't matter whether you are swallowing them or whether you are inserting them into your body, they are making it to your bloodstream. These synthetic hormones are making it to your bloodstream. What is different is that anything that you ingest orally, of course, is going to go through first pass metabolism. And for this, the pharmacokinetics, so that is how fast or how rapidly it's metabolized into something else and, and how fast uh, it hits your bloodstream, that is better known when it's administered orally. The other thing that is better known is the pharmacodynamics, which is how it is broken down. Those two things, the pharmacokinetics and the pharmacodynamics are better known because they've been studied more on orally ingested synthetic hormones than they have on different routes of delivery. So what this means is the, what is known is that your body produces different metabolites at different ratios, so at different concentrations, based on the, the route of delivery. So what is known is that if you're exposed to synthetic hormones through an intrauterine device as compared to taking those by mouth, your body is seeing different concentrations of different breakdown products of those synthetic hormones. But rest assured, your body, your bloodstream, your entire body is exposed to it regardless of the route of administration. A 2014 study published in the American College of Rheumatology found that women using hormonal IUDs may be at an increased risk for producing the autoantibodies, so again, the anti-nuclear antibodies, related to the development of rheumatoid arthritis. Number five, serum amyloid P component, which is a protein found in amyloid plaques and people with Alzheimer's disease, is one more immune-related protein that's been found to be significantly higher in women who are using hormonal contraception. This particular protein, even though it's found in amyloid plaques, it's unclear what role it plays in Alzheimer's disease. Okay, and that is five 
different things that will show up that can show up in your blood results um, and can change over time due to use of hormonal contraception. There's a lot of research regarding a woman's increased risk of contracting certain sexually transmitted diseases, sexually transmitted infections while using hormonal contraception. But what's less clear is whether her risk is increased because of changes in her immunity or whether it's due to physiologic change, physiological changes within her cervix that makes her more vulnerable to these sexually transmitted infections. So for that reason, that one's not included on the list. For now, this is plenty of food for thought. So we've talked about, we've talked about quite a few. We've most of what we've talked about today are more specific and they're ones that are less likely, they're quite frankly, the ones that are not going to show up on standard blood tests. This is when your doctor is looking for disease. This is when your doctor can't figure out what's going on with you and is running those additional tests. Um, in all likelihood, the elevated uh, amyloid protein is something that would not be run on you. So you would, because you would have have no reason for that to be run on you. Hopefully you're not developing Alzheimer's at a very young age. Um, and some of these other ones are just not in a CDC panel, complete metabolic panel, or a lipid panel. They're more specific. Now, what is, does this mean it always shows up? No. What we're talking about here is if you were to take your blood test results, let's say you happen to have any of these values that predate your use of hormonal contraceptions, contraceptives, and then after you've been on hormonal contraceptives for a while, have your doctor rerun one of these tests for some reason. I mean, here, you're not just going to walk into your doctor's office and ask for these tests to be run necessarily. There will be some underlying health condition or something that you suspect is going on some reason for running these tests. In other words, what is likely to happen is that if you have lab results that predate your use of hormonal contraceptives, and then you have lab results after you started using hormonal contraceptives, you would see elevation in these. So whether that is those fibrinogen levels that we talked about, whether it's C-reactive protein or anti-nuclear antibodies, you would see elevation in those three markers. The other, uh, the again, the amyloid protein, that is one that likely will not be run. It's just that is great knowledge. I think it's uh, this is leading to informed consent on what you need to know as a human being taking hormonal contraceptive contraceptives um, that you are definitely running the risk of having that particular protein elevated in your body. And then uh, the last one, those electrolyte balances, that would be something that you could see more easily. This would show up on your CBC and your normal, some of your normal blood work panels. So that is enough food for thought for today. I'm trying to keep this relatively short. Next time in this summer series, we're talking about how uh, your red blood cell counts are impacted 
by the use of hormonal contraceptives. And this is one where bring along your CBC panel, definitely, because we'll be talking about values like MCV and MCH, that's mean corpuscular volume, mean corpuscular hemoglobin, and most importantly, why it matters when those are high. I walked around with high levels of both of those for years and asked my doctor several times what a high MCV meant and was dismissed and said, oh, don't worry about it. Turns out it's an indication of a specific type of anemia and it was cause for concern. So anyways, we'll talk a little bit more about why it matters that those are high and, uh, well, I've already spilled the beans there, <laughs> how um, hormonal contraceptive is related to increasing those values and high. And in addition, we're talking about others as well. In the meantime, in case you want to do a direct comparison of your CBC panel, your complete metabolic panel, um, and or your lipid panel, and just look at how hormonal contraceptive impacts those results, click the link in show notes and sign up for, or and claim your free guide, just go ahead and download your free guide of um, how hormonal contraceptive affects every single value in those panels. Next time on the podcast, on Wednesday, May 17th, I'm releasing my interview with Mike Gaskins, the author of In the Name of the Pill. And this is all about the history of hormonal contraceptive approval by the FDA here in the U.S. and about what doctors knew way back in the 1960s regarding the horrible effects of hormonal contraceptive on the female body. So don't miss that episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, take a quick second and send this, share this with them. If you know someone who has been really pouring over and agonizing over their lab results and can't figure out what's going on, send this to them. They may very well be interested in that free guide. All right. Until next time, bye.